Good morning. I am Matt, I'm not Tom. Tom has this Sunday morning off. Hey, before we get started real quick, um, we're going to pass this around again. We're trying to update all our emails. If you want to be on the email list, um, it's a good way to get updates of what we got going on. Um, just a note, this is from Alita. She's not here. She wanted me to relay this message. It really helps if she can read it. Um, so if you think maybe last week you wrote it in an unlegible form, maybe this would be your week to redo it. So I'm going to be passing this around. Um, so I'm going to start right here with my friend Helen. Okay, good. She did it right. Oh, children, you are dismissed to Children's Church. You, you guys can trust me. You're going to want to get out of here. Um, so you guys, that's three years old to fifth grade. They have all sorts of good stuff planned for you up there. Hey, if um, it's your call to keep your kid in church, hey, we are talking about um, SEX. I'll wait till they're gone. Um, we, we, we are going to be talking about that topic. Uh, we, we've let it out there for a couple of days and weeks just so... People know what's coming. Um, and just to answer a couple of questions that I've gotten during the week, um, I've had a, I've ha- I had a couple people ask me if why we are saying basically middle school on up, that's 11 and 12-year-olds in case you don't know that. Uh, the reason for that is is they need to hear this um, from our, our, our standpoint as pastors. Now, we don't want to ever override the authority of the parent. Understand that. That's up to you and your call as a parent. But uh, the reason what we decided that is, um, I believe this last year we've had a couple of pregnancies in our height in our middle school, um, uh, and also in the high school, um, and also uh, the number one consumer of pornography currently in the world is is young boys ages twelve to seventeen. So that's sixth grade on up. That's the number one consumers globally. So people have said, why are you talking about this now? Um, well, because everybody else is and the church isn't as a whole. Um, it's very biblical, I promise you. Um, I am so nervous right now. Let me just be honest with you all. I mean, you guys know me if you've been around at all. I am the king of putting my foot in my mouth, and then you assign me the topic of sex. Okay, that's like, hey, Matt, let's just do, some, do something funny. Let's let Matt preach on sex. That'll be hilarious. Um, so so what, what I'm doing is, um, is we are going to be reading a lot of the Bible today, so it's not up to me. Um, a lot of the Bible. And so if you can't keep up with all these scriptures I'm throwing out and where we're going, that's okay. Just want to let you know, I post my notes um, on the Bethany Facebook page and also on my Facebook page. So all of my notes will be available by Tuesday night. So if you want to go back and do research there, and if you're like, I don't even know how to get on Facebook or what that is, talk to me. I can print them out for you. I'm more than happy to do that. Um, before we dive in, I need, I, I asked a couple of ushers to help me out with something. Um, can, can you guys come on up here? Um, if you notice, don't worry, I'm not going soft on you. Everybody's like, what's up with Matt and all the flowers up here? Um, we're going to pass out these flowers. I'm pretty sure I have enough for everybody. So I want everybody to take one. Don't go all because they're all dead. Um, and that's intentional. And we'll get to that. Um, <laughs> you see why we're going to be in the Bible a lot today? Um, so they're going to go ahead and pass it. If you get one with a, with, uh, if you get a rose, be careful. They have thorns. Um, so so we, we have these flowers that we're passing around. Um, I want to tell you a quick story about these flowers. Uh, these are the flowers. Um, th- this was really funny. Yesterday, I called around to all the flower shops in town, and I said, hey, do you have any really ugly dead flowers that I can have? 
And they said, excuse me? Really ugly dead flowers? I'm like, yes. And they go, son, I am very concerned for you. Are you married? And I said, yes, but it's not for that. Don't worry. Don't worry. And so I went around town, and these are all the flowers that, um, to, and, and this will make sense, I promise as we go on. I'm not even going to talk about them again until the very end. But these are all the flowers that basically nobody wanted in Gunnison this year. <laughs> yeah. Aw. And then just a disclaimer, this is the good one. I actually gave this one to my wife. So um, I asked her if I could borrow it. I promise, babe, where, where are you? I promise I didn't just buy this for you so I could use it for a sermon illustration. I thought of that after I bought it. And if you're like, you only got her one flower, don't worry. I got her orchids. I don't even know what those are, but apparently they're cool. I just saw a couple ladies shake their head. Like, would you be extremely disappointed with an orchid? I'm going to put this over here for now. Okay. <laughs> All right. I know some dudes are like, you're asking me to hold a flower for real? It's okay. I like it. I like it behind the ear. It's a renaissance man right there. Hey, I have to give, a, I have to give credit a little bit in the sermon before we dive in. I, um, this was a huge topic, massive topic. I had to do so much research. Um, I, I want to give credit where credit's due. In this area, um, thank you to uh, Pastor Doc, um, and Dr. John Piper, um, Mark Driscoll, Matt Chandler, Baxter. Um, that's not the dog from Anchorman. Um, he's a Puritan writer. Um, and then several other guys, but those are the main influences into this. And yes, I did say Puritan writer, if you're like, excuse me. Um, so let's dive into this thing. Sex is an interesting animals, especially in today. And, and I want to just debunk something really quick, because there's, there's a trend that we tend to really do in the Christian church of today. There's a vase under here. Thanks. Yeah, that's a good idea. There's, there's a trend that the Christian church really likes to do, and it says, is that right now everything is as bad as it's ever been. That everything is horrible and that we need to freak out, move into our basements, lock the door, and hoard the canned foods. Okay, that's an exaggeration. But we tend to take things to the extreme, and, and I don't know if that's necessarily true. And this is just really interesting because um, did you know that when the church was planted, it was considered historically probably one of the most uh, sexually promiscuous and deviant times in history? I mean, it was just an insane time that these guys were planting the original church in. I mean, just crazy. There, there was a temple in, uh, in Greece, one of the places where Paul went to, to uh, Aphrodite, where um, it was basically what we'd consider their church. And there was about 1,000 or so prostitutes that was in there. So when you'd come to church, um, they would give you a prostitute. Okay? Um, so when I'm talking that it was bad, it was Bad, And I could go on and on, but that's not the point of today. But I want us to at least have this in right light, that it's not good right now. Let's just be honest. Sexuality, the understanding of it, defining it, having a biblical understanding of what sex and sexuality is, um, it's not very clear right now. And it's very confusing. And, and I believe we, the church has let it been hijacked. It's been taken over. And we've let systems and different things um, define it for us. And we wonder, 
Why are our sex lives horrible? Why am I hurting? Why have I been sinned against in this area? Lots of questions. And, and, and understand that today, I'm, I mean, I'm sweating profusely right now because nothing here today is intended to be crass or, or, or not thought out. Understand that. That everything I'm saying here today comes from my heart, is hoping that we can be a people of God, that um, our sex lives will be a testimony to the gospel. Okay? That's the goal. Okay? There's a few, th- there's a few ways. Um, <laughs> I went and saw um, Valentine's Day, the movie. Aw, horrible. Um, no. <laughs> it was really funny. We did date night, and uh, the deal was the girls got to pick the movie, and the guys got to pick dinner, which is really funny because there's only one movie option in Gunnison. Um, <laughs> thank you, Tom Burgraff. Um, <laughs> but uh, the guys chose Power Stop. <laughs> We had cheeseburger and wings. It was hot. Um, <laughs> but I, we, we went and saw it, and it was, it was, I couldn't get over the fact that um, everybody in the movie um, was wondering why their life was a train wreck, but they were sleeping with everybody in the movie. Um, have you ever watched Grey's Anatomy? It's like their kid gets pregnant. Oh, this is private practice, excuse me. Um, recently, that one of the kids got pregnant, and they're wondering, how could this happen? But the parents had slept with every single person who works in the office. That's the definition that the culture is giving us, and we're getting this really hijacked, messed up view of sex and sexuality. Okay? And now understand me, I'm not, telling you, I'm not saying go home today and burn all your rated R movies that aren't Passion of the Christ, Okay? Um, like, so, so I, I'm not that guy, but I am saying we need to have a good view of this. And, and I, I, I came up with three ways, and, and there's more than this. Trust me, there's much more on everything I'm talking about today than what we have time to go over. But I, I, I found that generally I found it defined in, th- in three ways, three specific ways we view sex. Can you put those up, Ryan? God, gross, and a gift. Sex for most of us is either a God or it's gross, or it's a gift, okay? I want to spend some time on each one of these. What do I mean by God? And if you're going, sex is God, that's allows God. I agree, but I would say that most of us have elevated sex to the level of deity. We worship sex in our culture. We worship it. This year in the United States, we will spend 12 billion dollars on pornography. That is more than what the NFL, Major League Baseball, hockey, you, you take all the major sports, baseball, you put them all together, it's more than they'll gross this year. It's more than the United States has ever sent anywhere close to foreign aid in the world. We've never even touched anywhere near that number. We worship sex. Almost everything we do now is based around sex. It, it, it's it's how, how to have your best sex life. How, how, how to, um, I was, man, I, you got to be careful. Okay, now be careful if you, if you search things out on the internet. Be really careful. 
Like, researching this was hard. And I have, um, I, I use a program which is available on our website called Covenant Eyes, where it emails a report every uh, two weeks um, to three friends of mine of every website that I've gone to that may be considered um, inappropriate. That's available free on our website if you're interested in getting that. But I have that. So it was like a week where I'm like trying to do research and people are like, whoa, no. Um, you know, like, so be really careful if, um, if you just, but man, on, on YouTube, there was this lady that I found who, who gave relationship advice, and she's like one of the top um, people. I won't say her name, but she's one of the top people, and people um, over like 10,000 people a day hop on there to hear how they can improve their relationships. And everything was based around how to serve your needs first. Every single one was based around that. It was all based around how to get somebody in this area where you can Worship together outside of the constraints of God. Pastor Mark Driscoll said this one time when I was listening to him preach. It was live and I I was there. And he said, you have to understand that the greatest altar in our culture is our bed. What are you sacrificing on it? It's true. Sex is God. And and, um, Deuteronomy 5, 7 The word of God says this, it says, you shall have no other gods before me. This is God speaking to his people. If we are living in an area where we do worship sex, I I have to say it, we are living in sin and we need to repent of that. And and it is hard. I'm not ignorant to that fact. Okay? It, It is very difficult to break from that. I want you to hear something. And, and, This is one of the best ways I could just sum up what sex is as a God. Sex is a merciless master, but a wonderful servant. Sex is a merciless master, but a wonderful servant. If you let sex become God, it will own you. You have to hear me on this point. I know I'm being a little bit repetitive, but that's okay. The number one topic that I get in my office throughout the week is related to sex and people trying to break an addiction or trying to struggle through something. And it's just, it goes on and on and on. I I fear for our people that we have let sex become a master, become a deity, become a God, and it is merciless. Why? Because it's used by Satan. And he does not want your joy Trust me. What are you doing to your flower, Tori? <laughs> I'm just joking. <laughs> Let's move on. Some of us, sex is gross. This one really breaks my heart. I heard somebody say, that's me. Oh, okay, that's fine. You don't have to point them out. <laughs> like, when I say stuff like that, you don't have to be like, that's them. <laughs> Listen, I, 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 I get it. Um. I was informed before I came up here today that somebody wasn't coming today because they're like, are you really talking about sex? And the person who answered said, yeah, we are. And they said, well, I'm not coming. So why? Because it's gross. It's weird. It's awkward. I'd rather talk about hell than sex. Let me submit to you, if that's your inkling, then you have a very bad biblical understanding of sex and the way it was created. For many of you, I, I mean, I, I've met 
different people in the church, and, 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 different, and I know we have different experiences here. Some of us were raised being told that sex is gross your whole life from a child in, in a form to try to protect us, right? Um, I, 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 I can't believe our high school lets us do this, but, but, but they do. They let uh, me and a group of people come in um, each semester and teach a class on abstinence. And uh, it's a good time. We, we have a lot of fun with it, and, 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 and the kids really, I feel like, get a lot out of it. Um, it it's super awkward, but amazing. Um, and it feels like it's such a relief when we come in, not because we're that great or anything, but because so far, I, I wrote it down this way, um, Jesus, the great perfecter and author of sex is boiled down to don't do it, you might get chlamydia. <laughs> well, I mean, we laugh. I'm not, I mean, it, it is kind of funny, but it's kind of not. No wonder our sex education programs don't really work. The Christian worldview says you, you don't have sex before marriage because God wants your joy. We're going to talk more about that in a minute. But, but we walk into these classes and these kids light up because we talk about how wonderful sex can be. We talk about how great it can be. We talk about the beauty that God has created it to be. And all of a sudden you see them, it's not like these really gross posters that they always have on the wall that really freaks everybody out. It's so much more than that. It's so why we don't. Now, let, let's be honest, that's real, okay? But um, I have a feeling that if we listen to Jesus, we're not going to be really whole, a whole lot worried about things like um, sexually transmitted diseases, It's like cutting dandelions. They're going to be back in a day. Some of it has been done by the church. The church has portrayed a lot of times that sex is gross. And that's wrong. And as a pastor, I apologize for that if, if anybody else has ever taught you that. Um, some of our, <laughs> this is really interesting, some of our church fathers who who helped write some of the documents that got us going. There's one guy named Jerome that uh, every time he'd be walking down the road and he'd see an attractive woman, he'd throw himself into a thorn bush. Not even making that up. Like that was his way of fighting it. That's not effective. <laughs> okay? Like, I mean, I guess it works. There's another, there's another great church writer who, uh, who um, after reading Song of Solomon, um, actually castrated himself. Um, he took the verse, um, if it causes you to sin, cut, cut it out. He took that literally. Um, that is an option. I'd like to provide another way out. But this is the early church, and this, these were a lot of the systems that they set up, and they were wrong. And it was a bad understanding of how this plays out. It's sad. Um, the, 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 during um, the Victorian period, uh, it, the church got so modest that they required all women to wear skirts down to the floor, which is an okay thing. I'm not against that. But it, they, they took it to the whole entire level where they started noticing that the legs on a table had ankles. And they were worried that men might lust when they saw that. So that's how we got tablecloths. Let me submit something to you, okay? If you got an issue with legs on tables, we need to get you help, all right? Men, if that's, if that's doing it for you, talk to me, 
All right? We need to sit down and have a chat. But it's the truth. It's the truth. It's the way the church viewed it for so long. But so wrong. Sometimes the church teaches that sex is just for procreation. That sounds horrible to me as a married man. If that's all it's for, my wife's pregnant right now. I guess I'm like on the sidelines for several months. Years. <laughs> but seriously, is sex really just for procreation? I don't think so. Let's, let's go to the Bible. Let's hear what it has to say. Um, open your Bibles to Song of Solomon, chapter 4. We're going to get awkward. If you get the Psalms and Proverbs, hang a right. You're almost there. <laughs> Song of Solomon, chapter 4, verse 9. This is the man speaking to his wife. Okay? You have captivated my heart, my sister, my bride. Guys, we're, this is just different language translation. Translates, don't recommend calling your wife your sister. That's, we're not in Kentucky. All right? <laughs> I'm from the area, I can say it. (laughs) You have captivated my heart, my sister, my bride. You have captivated my heart with one glance of your eyes, with one jewel of your necklace. How beautiful is your love, my sister, my bride. How much better is your love than wine. Um, Yes, it said wine, not grape juice. Um, and, and And the fragrance of your oils than any spice. Your lips drip nectar, my bride. Honey and milk are under your tongue. The fragrance of your garments is like the fragrance of Lebanon. A garden locked is my sister, my bride. A spring locked, a fountain sealed. Your shoots are an orchard of pomegranates with choicest fruits. Henna and nard, nard and saffron, calamus and cinnamon. With all trees of frankincense, myrrh and aloes. With all choice spices. A garden found, a, a, a garden fountain, a well of living water. And flowing streams from Lebanon. Awake, O north wind, and come, O south wind. Blow upon my garden. Let its spices flow. That don't sound like just procreation to me. Does it to anybody else? Listen, if you're just procreating, you're not finding the honey under the tongue, as it says. I'm quoting scripture. It's in here. So many times we've taken this book, this beautiful love story book of Song of Solomon, and just said, it's this picture between Jesus and his church. I hope not. That's weird. I'm being really practical here. I mean, I know it's funny because we're so used to joking about it, but I'm actually being dead serious. If you read that whole book, you are going to really hope that Jesus does not do that to you when you get to heaven. <laughs> because it's a, it's a love story. It's a beautiful love story between a man and a woman. And, 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 get, and it's so cool because it should be so freeing to the Christian who is married. And I need to keep saying that in this so I don't give the wrong understanding of what I'm saying. The Christian who is married, it gives this beautiful understanding that she is free to express herself sexually to the man and say, this is what I want you to do. 
And he says back to her, this is what I want you to do. And, and then my, my favorite part, guys, catch this, is then her friends show up. Okay, this is biblical. When you get with a woman, when, when you marry her, or when you're courting her, or when you're dating her, her friends come along, and they're going to tell her what they think. So you need to keep, you need to keep them in the loop too. Not, not with the weird stuff, but with just like, you need to be nice to them, because they're in there too. But we see this beautiful, beautiful, beautiful love story of two people who desire to please one another, one another because God has given them that freedom and that joy. It's awesome. You ever think of why Adam busts out into song when Eve is made? The dude sings. I don't have those skills. I buy orchids. Last point is this one, and this one actually, it isn't funny at all, is, is some of you, um, your experience and understanding of sex is gross because of sin that has been committed against you. And I don't want to take that lightly at all. I'm, I'm, I'm not playing games with this one, there's no jokes, nothing funny about that one. But what you need to understand is this, is that some of you have a very bad view of sex and I'm very sorry. It was done to you, and I understand that at, at, at the most minute level. And, and, and it's not a joke, but you, um, hopefully, because we're going to deal with that later a little bit more, but uh, hopefully you know that there is a man who is great and wonderful, and his name is Jesus, Okay? Holy cow. Leaves us with our last one. Sex is a gift. This is good. Do you ever think of that, that sex is a gift? That it's created for you, for your joy? Genesis one twenty eight. It's at the beginning. It's an easy one to find. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish and of the sea and over the birds. Okay? Be fruitful and multiply. I hope I don't have to spell out to you what that means. You have to understand that God created sex. I, I read some very early church authors that said that uh, Adam and Eve just never had sex. The babies just appeared. That's not accurate. That's just not true. It was a gift. You, you don't, it's like, God didn't create it all, set it into motion. Like, I'm going to go grab a cup of coffee and come back like, whoa, what is going on? <laughs> didn't see that coming. What are, you, well, what are you doing? It didn't go that way. It's not like, whoa, Adam, easy, buddy. God isn't surprised. It was a gift that he gave. And we need to understand this, that sex was created before the fall. And everything before the fall, when I mean the fall, Adam and Eve, the first sin, the eating of the fruit, the temptation of Satan to man, and they ate that, the fruit and they fell away from the grace of God. It was created before that. And what do we know about everything that was created before the fall? That it was all, say it, good. It was good. Sex is a gift. 
God gave it to us. He said, be fruitful and multiply. And I'm like, I'm working on it. I don't think that, am I embarrassing you, darling? No. Okay, good. <laughs> you need to understand something. When we talk about sex and sexuality, that God is about your joy. He really is. And I'm not preaching like prosperity, like um, you get cars and things. I'm talking about he is about your joy, a sustaining joy. The same kind of joy that we see, um, that we see Paul with as he's locked in chains saying, I, I take joy that I am counted worthy to suffer. Now, don't be doing any parallels to marriage and stuff with that, okay? Um, but he, he's talking about he wants your joy, God wants his people to have joy because what, what, what does joy breed? It breeds endurance. It breeds strength. It breeds everything that makes us holy and righteous through Jesus. And it's beautiful. He wants your joy. God loves sex. He really does. I don't know if you know that. God loves sex. Not, not, not that he, like, he's having it all. I don't really know that. I have no answer to that. But God loves sex. You know how we know it? Because he made it. And he loves what he makes. Because God makes stuff that is good. So what is sex for? I, I, I compiled a short list. Um, it, it's not comprehensive by any means. But these are a few areas that I found of what sex is for in the Bible. Sex is for oneness. Sex is for two becoming one. Sex is for pleasure. It is. I think we've covered that enough. Sex is for children. It is for procreation. Be fruitful and multiply. Sex is for comfort in your spouse. Sex is for protection from sin. Paul talks about it pretty blatantly. He's like, if, you, if you're going to avoid being married, then by all means avoid being married. But if you're a guy who's going to fall into lust, you need to go marry somebody. Sex is for protection. If you think that this whole concept of sex is just like an isolated case or two in the Bible, that God doesn't take it seriously, that he doesn't want us to enjoy it, I would say that you're very wrong. Um, the book of Proverbs is one of my favorite books in the Bible. And in there, um, he's talking to his son. Right? Solomon's talking to his son. And what does he say to him? I, I love this verse. Proverbs 5, 19. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. That's advice from dad to son, about his wife. It's in the Bible. He's talking about enjoying her, being with her, loving her, and let her love fill you always. Be intoxicated with it. Don't, don't you love it when the Bible uses terminology like that? Be drunk with that stuff, you know? Love it. Be with her. Be, be one with her. So what does all this say? Listen, all pleasures are to be subordinate to the pleasures we find in God. All pleasures 
in this life are to be subordinate to the pleasures that we find in Jesus. Why? Because Jesus wants the greatest pleasure for you that you can't even imagine. If you say, God isn't letting me have sex before marriage kind of thing, I guess I'll just do it because he wants to withhold joy from me. You're lying to yourself and you've bought a lie because he wants your joy. So what does this mean? God's created an arena, if you will. Like, just picture it, an arena for this to take place, but not only just to take place, but for this to flourish, for this to be done with his blessing on it. Yes, he blesses this. It's called marriage. That is the arena in which God has set this up to flourish. Speaking from experience, sexually, um, you can have sex outside of marriage. Okay? Like, I'm not dumb. In Jeremiah 2.13, we're not going to go there just for time's sake, but you can look it up on your time. It's a really interesting scripture where it talks about how the Israelites are drinking from a cistern that isn't God's that has holes in it, that's broken, that's gross. If you are having sex or participating in sexual activity with somebody outside of the arena God has created and you are drinking out of a cistern that God has not created, I'd submit to you, it'd be very similar to me saying, hey, I have a glass of water right here for you. Do you want it? I know you're thirsty. And you go, no, I have a toilet at home. I'm going to go drink out of that. Put a, drop a straw down and just go to town. But that's what Jeremiah 2.13 says. Matt's translation, loosely. But sex outside of the arena in which God has created is just like, it's like, why would you even go there? And, 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 and I'm not saying that to you as a condemnation. That's for me as well. That's for me within my lust for flesh. It's like, I have a beautiful wife sitting at home. Why would I even be tempted to look at another woman? That is so ridiculous. That is nothing but toilet water, Matt. And you need to know that, that that is garbage. If the person that you would rather look at is not your spouse or is not your spouse yet, that is just toilet water. And you're drinking something up that's gonna make you sick. So many guys, and it just breaks my heart um, with married couples who, who uh, I talk to them, and they have a beautiful spouse, and, and, and they love each other, but um, he, he, it's usually he, I'll just say, it's usually him um, in, in this department. A lot of girls don't come talk to me about this because that would be inappropriate, and that's an okay thing. Um, but I get a lot of guys who are like, man, you know, it's like she goes to bed, but instead of going to bed with her and making love to my wife, I'd rather look at a picture on a screen. And, and, it, and it hurts. And, and, and understand, men, if, if this is you, I, I get it. I can't explain it. But we need to get to the root of this because it's killing us. As fathers, as men, as leaders, it is just going to kill us. 
And all the while, our wife, which God has given to us, is sitting in the next room. It's insane. Young men who are, who are in here, and I'm not married. Listen, um, if she is somebody's daughter. And I'm not just saying that to scare you. Um, I'm getting ready to have my first child. And if it's a daughter, I am very scared for the first man that comes along. Because I will kill him if he does anything. I mean, literally, I will, it will be over very quickly. And I know that's a funny thing to say. But I am really serious about protecting my girl. I don't even know if it's a girl yet. Ari's convinced it's a girl. I'm convinced it's a boy. We'll find out in a couple weeks, let you know. We're very protective over that. And, and, and I get so frustrated because I get these guys that come to me all the time repeatedly saying, why won't God bless me? I just want him to bless me. I mean, I, I dated this girl, but I slept with her, and then I left her, and then I'm like, listen, you are going to God, her, the, the father, her dad, and saying, I hurt her, but now I'm asking for your blessing? Are you kidding me? Do you really think God will bless you, man, if you are going to hurt his daughters? You are ignorant if you think that. God will not bless that garbage. If you abuse women, if you yell at them, if you, if you treat them improperly, whether that's sexually or whatever, he is not going to bless you. That is his daughter. He won't bless that. So many of us are accepting toilet water for some weird, weird reason. Sorry to yell at the guys. The guys need that from time to time. That's not for you, ladies, I promise. Here, we, we like to talk to men how men need to be talked to. We talk to women how women need to be talked to, and that's usually not done by me. Um, <laughs> why? Why all this? There's this really great word that you find in, um, in, in the Hebrew language that really helps us understand this. It's, it's a beautiful word. The word is called dode. It's called dode. Um, it, it's really interesting. Like, um, if, you, if you have time to study, we don't have time today to study, but there's this really interesting Hebrew progression. It's called, um, uh, oh man, now I'm drawing blank. Um, Ahava, Raya, and dode. It's, it's companionship and commitment. And then dode, the last one, the one we're talking about here specifically, is the mingling of souls. And it's the erotic form. It's the sexual form. Why is all this so important? Is because it is not just a physical act. It is literally the mingling of souls. And we wonder why it hurts so bad when it gets out of order. J.I. Packer said it this way one time. He said, it's like every time that you have sex with your spouse or anybody else, it's like you create cement between each other that holds each other together. It's much more than physical. When man and woman come together, get this. This is really cool. Don't miss this. It's supposed to represent the image of God. Do you know that? That, that man can produce an image of God that woman cannot, and woman produces an image of God that man cannot, but when they come together, we get a more complete image of God. 
Have you ever thought about your sex life that way? That your sex life is going to be proclaiming the image of God. It teaches us so much. It was created the same way everything is created. Everything is created for the glory of who? For the glory of God. For the glory of Jesus. Everything's created for that purpose. So guess what? When we say that we have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and they become one, guess what that, guess what that means? It says when two become one, we get an image of God. It is a display of the Trinity of God. It is a display of how two separate entities can become one. Dode means the mingling of souls, and it is very sexual. 1 Corinthians 16, I mean 6, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 6. I'll get you out of here soon, I promise. 1 Corinthians 6, starting in verse 15. You don't believe me that mingling of souls happens? Verse 15. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make the members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. Listen to this. This is huge. Don't miss this. For you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. You were brought with a price. Ryan, just bring up verse 20. I want you to just sit there and just stare at that for a minute. You were bought with a price. What was that price? It was the greatest price man has ever known. It is Jesus on the cross. He cares about your sex life. He cares about your thoughts. He cares about your heart. He cares about this body. Believe it or not, this weak, fragile, messed up body, he cares about it. Maybe for some of you, not weak and fragile. Me, yes. So glorify God in your body. Do you see that? Where it says that the two become one. You are a child of God. You need to know that. I got a couple stories for you, and then we'll be done. Um, because in, a, in, in reality, um, I, we, we have to be honest with this. And, um, and, and here at Bethany, we really believe that it should come from um, your pastors first. We should be very honest with you. And, and something you should know about me is um, <laughs> you can play with definitions all you want on how far too far is and all that kind of garbage. But all I know is that the things that I did before I was married to my wife really caused some damage. Got to be honest with you about that. It did. Um, I'm just going to tell you a story. Um, I, I dated a girl for about four years. Um, I wasn't a Christian yet, and, and she was. Um, 
take note of this. Um, that's why we advise dating fellow believers. Um, and uh, I really jacked this girl up. I mean, I really messed her up. She was, a, she was like this good homeschool girl. And, and like here, um, and at this point, um, most of you know my story. At this point, I was still um, dabbling in drug dealing. So here you have this homeschool Christian girl and me. And uh, years go on, and, and we date, and just things happen, and it's not good. It's not honoring God. I mean, I become a Christian in the process. How that, that's surely the grace of God. Um, ultimately, um, basically because of her anger towards me, um, this girl who was a virgin put herself in a position with a man that she knew that I hated because of what I had done to her, that she started dating him right after we broke up so that she could get back at me. That's kind of the games we play when we were in high school, and I would go ahead and submit that we still play a lot of those games sometimes, even outside of high school. And uh, she put herself with this guy, and the reason I hated this guy was because he was, he, he was a loser. He, was, he, he took advantage of women, and uh, he raped her, and that's how she lost her virginity. What do I do with that? You know what I mean? How, how, how does one take that experience and let God sanctify it, make it new, restore it to how it's supposed to be? How, how, how does he do that? How, how am I supposed to handle that knowing that that is on me? And, and at times, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I struggled with it. And I just didn't understand it. And, and it hurt so bad. Was it her decision that she put herself there? Absolutely, yes. But you know what? I had a big part to play in that. And I really struggled through that. My sister, another story. Um, my, my sister uh, made some really bad choices in the last couple of years. Really started hanging out with some people that were just not good people. And uh, similar situation. She got in a situation. She got raped. And she actually had a baby from it. And, and we love this kid to death. But... There is damage. You need to understand this. This was not good. My sister hid it for six months almost. Well, more than that, actually. Because of the shame and guilt she felt. What do I say to her? How how do I preach the gospel at all times? How do I preach Christ crucified in that situation? Where somebody sinned against her? What? what does the Bible have to say? And, and, you know, I mean, I just struggled and struggled and struggled. And you know what? I guarantee I am not the only one in this room. I guarantee. I, I mean, it may be pornography. It may be a sin committed against you. It, I mean, we can go down the list. These are just a couple of my stories. And I could keep going. And I've seen the damage and the hurt that has been caused when we take this beautiful gift and just trash it and take it out of the arena of God. And I've seen the hurt that it's caused. And, it, and you know what? It, it's not like these wounds ever really totally heal. They turn into scars and they'll always be visible. But I have hope. Why do I have hope? Because we know that the gospel speaks life into everything. What do I mean? Go to John chapter 8. I know we're going long, but that's what you get here. John chapter 8, 
verse 1. But Jesus went on to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Verse 5. Now in the law of Moses, now that now in the law of Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have, have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. I always wanted to know what he's writing in the ground. doesn't tell us. Verse 7. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. Probably one of the most misquoted verses in the Bible, but for our case today, it's being used very appropriately. Verse 8. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No, Lord. No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. What does this say about our God? She was guilty. Guilty as charged. She didn't even try to deny it. She'd been caught in adultery, which at this time was punishable by stoning. Don't miss this. Jesus' grace to her came before repentance. Don't miss that. That's what my sister needs. That's what I need. I guarantee you that's what you need. You need to know that his grace is what leads us to repentance, which we sing all the time, right? It's his grace that leads to repentance. And he tells her to go from there and sin no more. You are free. Luke chapter 7, and we'll be done. Luke 7, starting in verse 36. Not even going to women, woman at the well today. I could keep going with these all day. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner. What does that mean? She was promiscuous. That's what that means, just so we're clear. Who was a sinner. When she learned that he was reclining at, at table in the Pharisee's house... Um, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had, lived, who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who's touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. When Jesus says that, you better duck. (laughs) And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain money handler had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. 
Now which one of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one I suppose from whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Let's stop right there. We're going to pick up in verse 44 in a second. But can I, I, I want to confess something to you. And it was brought deeply by a pastor I heard teach on this. Um, confession of my sin in this story is I don't have a problem with the woman. I have a problem with that man. Simon, that, that's, I, I literally just want to punch him reading this repeatedly. Um, I, I, I don't know if that's freeing anybody else, but it's just not good. Because this is for him as well. It's for the judgmental. It's for the self-righteous as well to learn from. So I, I just need to repent of that as I teach it. Verse 44. Then turning, down, turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but... From the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, I, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he was forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Verse 49. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? I love that Jesus doesn't even give them a response. He just totally ignores them and focuses on the woman here. And he said to the woman, so he's looking down at the woman, he says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Don't miss it. There's a lot of words I just read. Was she guilty? Absolutely. Was she a sinner? For sure. Jesus' message to her is go in peace. Far too often it is go in regret. Don't you feel horrible? Look at who you are. And I, I want to tell you something that that is not Jesus speaking to you, that is the enemy lying to you, telling you that you are not good enough. Okay? You need to understand that. He says, go in peace. You know what's wild about talking about sex in church? I can guarantee you every single person in this building has committed some sort of sexual sin. This message is for you. If you've been sitting here the whole time thinking it's not, then you have tricked yourself. Jesus is calling out to you. If you come and you kneel down at my feet and you weep at my feet and you ask me for forgiveness, I give it so willingly. Nothing makes him happier. And then he tells us what? To go in peace. So, um... You have your flower. Go ahead and pick that up. Um, I'm going to go ahead and just guess. Maybe, maybe you're like weird and you're like, oh, I like dead flowers. I don't know. But I'm going to go ahead and guess for the majority of people sitting in here that uh, we'd rather have this one. Yeah? Alan wants that one. You have to fight Ari over it. She's tough. But here's the truth. 
here's the truth. Is um, technically, you are that flower in your hand. You're the beat up flower that honestly, God shouldn't want. You're, you're the one that is dead and dying. But, 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 but here, here's something that's really beautiful about all this. It is, we've talked about it regularly here, is that what Jesus is so good at is taking something that is beaten down and ugly and trampled on and hurt and messed up and malnourished. And you, you just go down the list. And he makes them look like this. Do you get it? That through the blood of Jesus, through his death, burial, and resurrection, he sees you like that, not as like what you are holding in your hand. Some of you really, really need to hear this because guess what? I, and, and, and I'm going to speak specifically for just a second, is I know, I know that it, it, statistically, a third of our women in here have been sinned against sexually. by a man who is not worthy of you. But you need to know that the cross doesn't all just take away the sins that you have committed. It takes away the sins that have been committed against you. And he says to you repeatedly, go in peace. He says to you who can't stop looking at what you shouldn't look at. He goes, you, you're forgiven because it's earnest and go from here and sin no more. You're gonna get help. In Proverbs, it talks about repeatedly that a wise man seeks good counsel. Are you seeking out good counsel? Are you surrounding yourself with men who will hold you accountable, who do not let you fall and who will ask the hard questions? Because guys, that's what you need. The idea that we should just hang out from time to time, that is not going to cut it because those men will not know you. We're all the jacked up flower. We're all the messed up one. We're all the ugly one. We're all the really nasty ones. Like yours is really bad, Dory. Sorry, I just can't stop looking at it. (laughs) Yeah, Chris, yours is pretty bad too, man. <laughs> I just found it interesting, you know. I just thought of this yesterday, actually, and sitting in my office and preparing. These were the ones that nobody wanted. Valentine's Day can be a really horrible holiday for some people. If it is for you, and you feel like you're the one that nobody wants, I promise you that he wants you. So, we've covered a lot today, I know. I would challenge you to take this very seriously. As it said in 1 Corinthians, what we read today, that every other sin is outside of the body, but sexual immorality is within. Some of you need to hear that. Some of you need to know that you are set free today, that you can go in peace. And what we're going to do now is this, is we're going to take communion today. I know it's not our normal day to take a communion, but uh, the worship team is going to come up and they're going to play. Um, and what, uh, what, what I want you to do is um, 
I want you to do this at your own pace. And, and what I mean by that is this, is that we take um, this act very seriously here at Bethany. Um, if you're a believer in Jesus, what I mean by that is if, if you're a person who has said, you are my Lord, my King, and I will follow you. Lord, I want you to set me free. If you're somebody who says, I will submit to your ways and I will rejoice in them. If you're somebody who says, I believe in your death, burial, and resurrection, and that it was for me. If you're somebody who says, I believe that sex was created as a gift and not as something gross. Or I, I don't worship sex, I worship you then you're free to come up today and take this because what this represents is this. is um, The bread represents the broken body of our Savior, and so um, that's why we actually have you come up and break it. I want you to really know and almost feel it. That this is his body that was broken for you, and, and then you, you take a, the cup, which represents his shed blood on the cross. And when you take these things, we remember his incredible sacrifice for us. We remember his incredible love that he displayed for all the world to see that day on the cross. You have to know that that moment on the cross, he became everything that we hate so that we don't have to live in it anymore. You need to know that the sin that was committed against you, he was with you in that moment on the cross. He felt the pain that you felt. That's why we do this. To remember him and to say thank you. If you're not a believer in Jesus and you want to become one, um, we, we like that here. It's a good thing. Um, a way that you can accept it is just pray, Lord, receive me, take me. It's not about what you've done, I promise. We've seen already, we read in scripture today that he forgave the woman before she even repented, which means turning from our sins. He forgave her before she even had the chance to do that, and he, he offers that to you here today. And so if that's you, I would encourage you just to pray that. You can come up, there'll be pastors up here, people up here that can pray with you, or you can do it with a friend in a seat or by yourself. And then I would encourage you to come and take part in what we call communion or the Lord's Supper for your very first time for real. And really thank him. Okay? Take as much time as you need. Um, I'm just going to play for a while. Um, I encourage you just to sit and think on this and love on him for a little while. Because I promise you, he wants to love on you.